tonight. If you have your Bibles, grab those. James 5. Uh, we'll start in verse 7 here in a few minutes. James chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. Um, and our, our series for the fall is, is vastly winding down. Um, after this Sunday, we'll have two more Sundays in the book of James, and then we'll look forward to uh, our Christmas series there and preparing our hearts for all that uh, God will have us during uh, that season. Um, so isn't that crazy to think, think about, we're talking about Christmas already? Gosh, where did the warm weather go? Where did all of that stuff, I mean, man, th- thinking about Christmas already, and so my, my hope and my prayer for us has, especially as we've walked through the book of James and as we've looked at God's word proclaimed and uh, what he had for his people in that day and uh, how it applies to us in our day is, man, is that the Holy Spirit would use that to shape and mold us, that, that he would use that all the more for his glory and for our good. As, as I don't know about you, but I mean, the book of James, is, it's ain't my lunch. Man, to th- I mean, I, th- I thought that I was like somewhere and then God just real quickly reminds me that I've got a long long way to go. Um, and, and I don't know if he's done that to you through this series, but if he has, man, that, that is a good, good gift from the Lord. Whenever, whenever he tells you the truth about you, and then after he tells you the truth about you, he invites you in a little bit deeper and a little bit more. When he reveals maybe something that's not all pretty and nice and neat and kind of shows maybe there's some things in the heart that, that needs to be worked on and uh, in, in pointing that out and pressing in that area with the sting, all the while says, hey man, I've got a, I've got a salve right here that, that will take care of that, that, that will help heal that wound and help you grow and be stronger. Uh, and, and so, man, it, it is just, I don't know about you, but that, that God has just been doing that and working me over uh, throughout this series. And, and I, as much as I hate it, I love it. Very, very much so because it lets me know that God is still working and God is still doing. And I, I, just, I just pray and hope that you've experienced that and been able to walk through some of that um, throughout this. And so last week we, we looked at finances and talked a little bit about what James said about finances and the believer, how we're to honor God with our finances. And um, this week we're just going to see James continuing to put pressure on, James continuing to press on the heart of the people, uh, uh, something very, very difficult, very, very difficult. So some, some of the reason why we have worship before we jump into the word, before we open up God's word and hear his word proclaimed is, is so it just kind of sets the stage for us. So, so as we have sung, great is thy faithfulness, let that just resonate in your heart this morning as we open up God's word, and as we allow God's word to just kind of direct us and shape us and mold us and press upon us uh, some very, very difficult truth this morning. Because just, just, to be, just to be upfront with what we're going to be, we're going to be talking about patience this morning. I mean, let, let's go back and talk about finances again, right? That's more fun than patience. But, but that's where we're going to be. And, so, and, and we're going to see some very difficult, weighty words in the word of God, that, that he presses upon by inspiration, James, to, to, to share with the believers in this day. And so singing songs like, great is thy faithfulness, or blessed be your name, and, and that song, blessed be your name, is not a song that we sing just in the good times, but he's saying, you're singing it when he gives and when he takes away. That, that we're going to praise and we're going to give glory and, and attribute that to him, no matter the circumstance or situation. And then, so we've sung that this morning, we've prepared our hearts for what God's word has to say as it aligns with those realities, as it aligns with those truths that we have already sung, and we're going to see it here in his word this morning. And my hope is that, that, that God has just, just, um, has just got your heart set for what he wants to say this morning to you. So I'm going to ask you if you join me as we pray. 
and then we'll uh, get ready and jump into James chapter 5. Let, let, let's pray. Father, uh, again, I just I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that you offer and give, the grace and mercy that is poured out on us. And, and Father, even this morning, God, me knowing what's coming, God, me having the opportunity and privilege to, to study and pray and prepare my heart. Father, knowing that there's still a greater work that you're going to want to do in me. And as we've sung those songs this morning, great is your faithfulness. God, may we be reminded of that. Blessed be your name, no matter the circumstance or situation. Fathers, we're going to see a very difficult text presented this morning. Father, I pray you would help us land at that place and be reminded of how good you truly are. God, to be reminded of how faithful you really are. And Father, regardless of the current situation of the heart in this place, of the men and women that have come into this place this morning, regardless of that current situation, Father, that, that you are inviting to go deeper. Whether it be for the first time, the invitation of salvation and being made alive, or Father, if it's that time of pressing on a certain area of the heart, God, to convict and to draw or to encourage. Oh God, we beg of you to do work in this place. Help us. Help us grow. And we pray. Amen. Amen. James 5, 7. This is, this is what James uh, says. James says this. He says, be patient. So, so James starts out with a command, a little command here. Hey, be patient. Do, do this. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to work on. This is, this is what's going to happen. And then what he's going to do is he's going to build his argument from there. He's going to build on this command of why. And he's going to uh, uh, pull back and he's going to share and he's going to show. But he, but he tells him to do something. And I said, I don't ever want us to forget the context because, okay, that, that, sounds, that sounds good, that sounds easy, whatever. Um, but, but the context is this, is that the church in this current day is under immense persecution. Uh, they're under immense difficulties and struggles, and he tells them to be, be patient. Easy enough, right? I mean, how, how good are we at being patient and we're not worried about our lives being taken? We're not worried about being thrown in prison. We're not worried about persecution. And I'm not talking about being made fun of on Facebook or left out of an event. I'm, I'm talking about real, real life-threatening, life-altering type persecution. And he tells them to be patient. I mean, patience is just kind of a weird thing anyways, is it not? I mean, patience is, is a difficult thing to do and to practice. And it's, it's one of those things that I'm sure you've heard is you don't really want to pray for patience because God doesn't give patience. He gives circumstances and situations to help you exercise and work out and practice patience. There's not like just some little fix-all or little pill that you take or a little verse you just turn to. I've got all kinds of patience. I'm good. Let's do this. You get in your car and you start to drive and that goes out the window, does it not? Or you go to the store and the line is to the end of the, end of the, the store with one cashier working and all the like cell phones are like down like that all right patience here we go boom situation circumstance and so James just comes out and he says be, be patient be patient it's our world it's just it's weird the current world we live in right like, like we've got technology like never before but, but what has that done it, it it has ruined it for us has it not it it, it has stripped us and handicapped us especially the realm of of patience. Why? Because technology was supposed to make things easier. Technology was supposed to make things better. It was supposed to be faster. We're supposed to be more efficient. We're supposed to be able to get more done so we'd have more time to spend and enjoy. But what have we done? We've just filled that time with more stuff that has called us to be more anxious, that caused us, caused us not to, to have patience, to be impatient. 
And if you look at our world and look at our current situation, everything in our world is built for what? Ease and speed. We want it to be as easy as possible and get done as fast as it can. Ease and speed is what our world is built for. Everything that, that comes out, everything that comes down the line, that's what it's about. It's about not having to wait. Like, we don't want to wait. We don't want to be slowed down. We, we, we need it faster. We need it quicker. We need it more efficient. We need it now, 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 now. I mean, just think about it. Fast food is never fast enough, is it? Can you believe I had to wait seven minutes for the cheeseburger? God help them. I'll never be back. You know what I'm saying? Or, or if we go through the drive-thru and we have to wait longer than 10 minutes, only to find that next week they've opened up. Now there, it's a double drive-thru lane. Well, because one drive-thru lane is not enough. It's not efficient enough. It's not quick enough. They can't get it out. So they've got to go two drive-thru lanes now. I mean, that's the world we're living in. Well, what about working out? Working out used to be like you had to actually go to the gym. And you had to get on a machine and you had to do something. And you had to invest time. And then it got stripped down to, if you just do 30 minutes, 30 minutes to the body you've always wanted. Well, dang, 30 minutes is too long. So what have they done? They've come out with a 12-minute workout. Same results as the guy that goes to the gym that gives two hours. And even better than the guy that only did 30 minutes. I've got you 12 minutes. It's still too long. I want the two-minute abs, yo. And you'll have to do it two times a week. Two, I can give four minutes. I can squeeze in four minutes for some abs. I mean, is that not our world? Is that not where we live? Is that not what's happening? And don't, don't even get me started about like phones and stuff. 3G, 4G, 5G, 6G, 7G, 8G, now supersonic G-Force 1.0. I mean, I mean, how fast do we really need that stuff to load? I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, like, like, I get, like I get amped up too. with like, like oh, it just won't work. You're still, oh, wow. I'm switching companies. Put a tower out here, for goodness sakes. Can, frankly, can we get a booster? I mean, what's the deal? I mean, it's never fast enough for us. No matter how many Gs they put in there, it's never going to be quick enough for us. And so what we see from the Scriptures is this, is that the Lord values patience in His children. He values patience in His children. And I'm not just talking about the stuff that we know that we should be patient with. I'm not just talking about not losing it with your kids or going crazy because of this or, or at your, your spouse or your coworker or the car that's in front of you that just won't. I, I'm, yes, those areas we need to be patient, but I'm talking about it at a deeper level. And that's where James is going to go this morning. That's where he's going to hit us this morning. Is at a much deeper level as it pertains to patience. Because hear me, God is serious about patience because persevering faith and joy in God requires it. You want to be joyful in God? You need to be patient. You want faith that perseveres? Patience is wrapped up in that. That's what James is going to show us. That's what's going to unfold here. So he goes right from the very beginning in verse 7. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So, so James says we need to be patient. And, and then he gives them a little, little, just a little nudge of encouragement there. When? Until the coming of the Lord. One, there's longevity in that. But then two, there's also hope in that. I mean, we don't know when that's going to be. Right? Is that, not, is that not our current heart? Whatever circumstance or situation we get in, God, how long? How long would you leave me here in this dry and weary land? God, how long would you leave me to walk through this circumstance or this situation or this, this time in my life? God, just get me out. Like, we're so focused on getting out and getting away from, instead of the, the struggle that we're in, relying all the more on Christ and what he has to accomplish in us and through us. Because what I've learned is God is gracious enough that if we do find a way to kind of squirm out, which he will allow, 
that he is gracious and good and loving enough to put us right back in it later on. Because he cares more about you than you realize. And when he wants to teach, when he wants to mature, when he wants to grow, he is good and gracious to put us right back. You didn't learn the lesson the first time? That's all right. That's all right, son or daughter. Wait till tomorrow. It wasn't good enough then. I got something even better for you. And that is a good, gracious thing. So, so the longevity until the coming of the Lord, but then also the reality that's packed into that statement. Uh, the reality of what James says there. Therefore, brothers, wait until the coming of the Lord. So, so what we know is this, for over 2,000 years, the heart of the believer has been set on this reality. For over 2,000 years, we've been longing for and looking toward the return of our Lord. And so what we know is this, is that Jesus said he's coming again. And what I've learned about in Scripture, when Christ says something, he means it. When Jesus makes a statement, he, he means it. He doesn't just flippantly say something or he just doesn't like to hear himself talk. No, no. when he says something, there is great weight and there is great meaning and there is great, great truth in that. So he says, be patient. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. He's coming back. And when he comes again, he's going to consummate all that he has accomplished on the cross. He's going to consummate that. And so we've got to get our heart around this reality. We have got to get our heart around this truth that the Father's coming to get us. We'll never be patient if we don't. We'll never grow in patience at a deeper level if we don't feel that reality that, that the Father is coming to get us. Um, I, I believe, I believe I was around fourth, fifth grade, um, some, somewhere in that area. Uh, and, and we grew up in West Virginia. We're out in the country. And um, at the end of the property, there was this field that kind of went up into the hill. Um, and then at, once it got up so far, there were trees. Um, and there was this really cool like rock formation up there kind of on both sides. About 12, 15 feet tall. Um, you couldn't really cr uh, climb up on them and things like that. But, but, I mean, you could play down in the middle of it, kind of like this little valley right there in between those two rock formations. And, and I can remember as a kid, I had a friend over one time. And, and it was getting close to, uh, close to night. It was approaching quickly. And so we're, we're there, and we, um, we decided to go out and play Army Men. Kids, you probably don't know what that is. Um, we didn't have the technology that we have today and all the devices. And so you actually went outside and did stuff outside in the woods with sticks and stuff, and it was awesome. And so, so we, um, we go out, we're up there, and, and as a good, like, like, West Virginia survivalist that I am, I packed a book bag. You never know what you're going to face up there, you know? And we're going to play army men, and there's enemies, and there's, I mean, it's, it could get crazy, and so you got to be prepared. So we get up there, and we're doing our thing, and we're having a good time, and, and we kind of notice, man, it's starting to get dark. So, so we can either go back the way we came, or we could kind of venture on more through the woods. Man, and the adventurous fourth, fifth grader that we were, we're going the long wooded way. And so we do it. And so as we are starting to go, we hear a hiss. And I don't know about you, and if you've ever been in the woods in West Virginia, when it starts to get dark, there are things out there. And especially in a fourth and fifth grader's mind. And that hiss, I feel like it was like right on the back of our neck. And so we begin to walk faster, only to have it be getting darker, but never to fear the survivalist that I am. Flashlight in the backpack. Oh, what? So I grab that thing, and, and, and I, did, like, I didn't check it beforehand because, why? Well, you don't need to do that. I mean, there's batteries in it. It's heavy. We're good. So I turn it on, only to have that thing have a light that would, like, come out this far. I mean, we can't walk fast like this with that thing hissing and coming for us. 
and so we're going, and we hear it again. Like, like, like it is, it's ticked, and it's hungry. It hadn't eaten in weeks. You can just tell by the hiss. I mean, like, like it's mad now. And we smell good. Us, us little chubby fourth and fifth girls, we smell good to that thing. And man, is going to have a meal tonight. And so we freak out, and we go, and we get to the briar patch. Oh. I mean, as a fourth and fifth grader, I don't get a machete. Like there was no machete. Dad didn't give me a machete. I mean, like I had a dull pocket knife maybe. I mean, that, so we're, we're trapped now. I mean, either we go back and we fight this thing or we figure out a way. And so we're trying to get through the briar patch and we, we just get stuck. And we're there and it's hissing and it's getting closer and it's getting madder and it's getting hungrier. And my buddy's in front of me and he freaks, he loves his life more than I did apparently. He freaks out and he just jets through the briar patch to leave me there. So you know what that means? He survives, I die. If I'd have known that, dude, I'd have just jumped on your back and we'd both been good. But no, he gets more scared than I do and takes off. And so what do I do? I freeze. Like, I freeze and I start, I start, I start crying out. Help. I need help. Get dad. Go get dad. And I don't know if you remember this story, but dad was home for work because it was dark. He was home for work and he was inside doing his thing. And what, what does my buddy do? He goes and gets dad. And you know what dad does? He comes out with the light. He's like, son, what are you doing? Turns the light on. Like, like the good lights that actually work. Like, you know, like, blind. step there. All right, Good over here and he would shine the light and he would flash the light and he would show me the places I need to step, the places I need to go, all that thing, all of those type of things. And what happens? I finally get to freedom. I get to freedom, the big bad mad cat, which I find out the next day at church was our neighbor who was being funny. I don't want to preach at anybody's front, but you should have done something about that. That's dirty. It was him messing with us. I mean, like, like, I'm out there having a heart attack dying, and I'm, I mean, health met me out of here like it's over. And he, and, and I, but I tell that story, I tell that story to say, to say this, that's God doing the same thing. Right now, whether you realize it or not, God's doing the same thing. No matter what circumstance or situation or what you're going through, what you're facing, what's happening in your life, God is doing the same thing with you. You've got to know that he's coming. He's coming, and nothing can happen to you that he hasn't already been made aware of, that he already knows. And has allowed. And you may think that that is horrific and that God is not loving and gracious, but that's the most loving thing that he can do is what? Turn our heart and our devotion and desire to him all the more. All the more. And what we see throughout scripture is story after story of that. Story after story after story of that. When we get our heart around this reality that that Christ is for us and that he's coming for us, it makes it a little bit, just a little bit easier to be patient in those circumstances and situations. And what James is going to do next is he's going to give an illustration of what that looks like. He's going to remind them in a way that's very, very obvious, a way that they, they would be well acquainted with, that would be familiar with, that they see it all the time. As he continues in verse 7, he says this, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Being patient about it, when? Until it receives the early and late rains. What he tells the believers in this day that's facing immense persecution and difficulties and turmoils, that the farmer has to wait. He plants and then he leaves. And he does. But he has to wait, what, until the rains. And God is what, faithful in doing that work? God is faithful in making it happen. God, God is faithful in doing something. And in his timing, what happens? It all comes together. And that crop grows. And then what he does is he ties it all back into 
what he's just said in verse 7. And look at, look at what he says. He says, you also be patient. He says, be patient. He reminds me, tells him to be patient. The Lord's coming. And then he gives him that illustration of someone uh, agriculturally in their day that would have to be patient. And then he reminds him, be patient. There it is again. Remember the farmer. Be encouraged by the fact that, that God is working in that and he, he allows to happen. And then he again mentioned how things end. At the end, he says, establish your heart, set in your heart, be secure, have confidence. It's something you can count on, something you can bank on. Establish in your hearts. What? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's upon us. It's, it's near is what he tells them. And this is the second time that James makes this point. Points them to this reality of things to come in the future. Presses on them about being patient that, that, that dad's coming. And so all I know is this is, and I know it's hard in our world in our day to day. But if you know of something much, much greater is coming, is it not a little easier to kind of hang tight for a little bit longer? If you know that what you've got coming is going to be so much greater? See, I think one of the problems that the church fights with is that we are just far, far too in love with our current day and our current surroundings and our current stuff. And, and we forgot this reality that there is something far greater coming. Let me, let me try to remind you of that. Revelation 21.1. Um, you're like, yeah, finally we get to this. Yeah, let's do, yeah, Revelation. I mean, everybody's geeked up about Revelation. And we should be because listen to what Jesus says. Listen to what the Word of God says. Revelation 21.1 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, first earth has passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. What's he making new? All things. I mean, think about that. For, that, that sounds nothing like our current world, does it? And I don't know what your picture of heaven is, like, like, like Pepsi-filled swimming pools and like mud and tires on everything. I don't know what your picture or vision of heaven is, but hear me, it's woefully short to the reality of what heaven is, what eternity is, what this new Jerusalem will be like with our God in his presence, in his presence. There's no more fighting for that. There's no more fleshly desires that we have to work through and crucify and, and do away with. No, 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 he has promised for those that are his presence forever. No more pain. No more pain. And, and are we not living in a season of heartache and pain and disappointment? I mean, the loss that has been endured in this room, the hurt that has taken place in this room just over the last year and a half, not to mention a lifetime, all of that will be done away with and there'll never be any of that again. I mean, is that not enough to persevere in the current circumstance and situation? Man, there's something greater coming. I mean, there's something so much greater coming. And you know what? We are 40 minutes closer to that reality right now in this very moment than we were when we started. Christian, we've got to get our mind, our heart to that. That's what James is telling the believers in this day. That's where our hope rests when he makes what all things new. No more loss, no more sadness, no more anxiety, no more fear, no more hurt, no more pain. It's all gone and done away with. That's the reality that we'll live in for eternity. That's what we have promised to us. And man, that is so much greater than the counterfeit junk that we're offered here 
That is so much better than the counterfeit nonsense that's, that is promised to us to fulfill and make and, and experience. It's so much greater. I mean, there's no more hiding. There's no more fear. There's no more hurt. There's no more hang-ups, manipulation. There's none of that. Just hold tight. Baby, hold tight. We're coming. Christ is coming back for us. That's what James says. And it won't be long. It won't be long. Every bit of struggle, difficulty, pain, suffering, depression, lust, battles, anything that you face and fight, you just need to know that dad is on his way to get us. Dad is on his way to get us. God is coming. But the, in this moment that we're currently in, what he's doing is he is working and doing to accomplish something far, far greater in you. Christian, in this day, and the day that we're living, we are working to be patient, remembering that God is doing something in us. It's not punishment, but it's refining. You hear me? It's not punishment, it's refining. Perspective matters here. So to know that God is aware of your current circumstance and your current situation, and he still let it happen, right? Because if, 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 he, if he's God, he can stop it. So we've got to get to the place where we understand that dad's coming for us and that he cares and he's doing a greater work than we could ever imagine. And it's not punishment, it's refining. He's shaping us and molding us, what? Into the image of his beloved son. He's not done with us. He's working and doing. And what I have learned and read in Scripture over in Hebrews 12, 6 is that he disciplines what? Those who are his. He disciplines his children. Why? Because he loves us. And he sees far greater in us. He expects far more from us. Well, you should be worried if there's not conviction over sin. And you can live however you want to live with no godly conviction and no experiencing of discipline. That is a dangerous and scary place to be. So if God hasn't corrected, if God hasn't disciplined, if God hasn't whooped you a little bit, then your heart should question and ask, why not? Because the scriptures are clear. Those that are his, he disciplines. Why? Because he sees better. He expects more out of. And he is shaping and molding us. Just like James said over in chapter 1, verse 4 there. Amen. That he is doing a work to help us be complete well-rounded, so we can mature and grow. So we can mature and grow. So, so we must rest in the fact that we can know what God's doing, even in the discipline and the difficulty. It's for our good and for his glory. He's not punishing us for only praying two times this week. That's not how God works. He's not punishing us because of some dumb thing we did in our 20s. That's not how God works. He will never love you more or less than he does right now. Never. Maybe you just need to hear that this morning. Well, Scott, how do you know that? The cross the cross tells me that. Every time, every time I doubt, like, dang it, I blew it again this week. Or dang it, I did this. Or dang it, I thought that. Or I said that. Or oh, I'm just a big failure to the Lord. He says, son, raise, lift your head up, boy. No, 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 no. You don't work and earn this love. No, 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 no. That, that's something that you've, no, no. I've done this. I've accomplished. I've made a way. And he will never, hear me, he will never love us more or less than he does right now. He can't. That's what that cross tells us. That's what that cross reminds us. We need to rest in that. Now, that's not, a, that's not a free ticket to just go do and live however you want to live because what that would do would point to the fact that you don't know of that love. You've never tasted of that love and experienced and walked in that love. You know, we lift our head in confidence knowing that there's no condemnation one in those who are his. We're not held guilty. No, no, that's been put on Jesus for us. Those of us who enter into a relationship with him through faith. And so he goes on in verse 9 and he says this. He, he keeps going. He says this. Now he kind of takes it to um, 
to a one-on-one almost more relational type thing with, with others. He says this. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So what, what James has done now is said, hey, hey, be patient in circumstances and situations, but, but also be patient with each other. Be patient with each other. Is this not an area that the church needs to work on? I mean, can we just be real and honest for a moment? Lord, help us to be patient with one another. Man, this is a work that God needs to do in us to help us mature and get along. I mean, is it not heartbreaking that the church is so quick to crucify their own? Is it not heartbreaking and devastating that the church is the first to turn on, the first to get rid of, the first to just throw out? All I got to say is this, is it's sad when we critique more than we compliment. It's a sad day when we as the church critique more than we compliment. That we are more gifted in knowing everybody's shortcomings than we are in knowing their giftings. It's just a sad day. And what James does is he jumps them here. It's sad that we've become experts in picking each other apart when we should be experts in encouraging, building up, spurring on one another. That's what the scriptures teach. And this takes patience on our part. I'm just going to speak. People are aggravating, are they not? People are frustrating. They become a lot of work. Preacher, can you say that? Yeah, I can say that. Why? Because I know that I'm the same way. You have to endure me. I have to endure you. That's how God refines. That's how God works. I mean, I'm aggravating and frustrating. I know that. Everybody is. Why? Because God's working on us and we haven't made it yet, have we? We're still plagued with sin struggles. We're still easily enticed. We're still battling the desires of the flesh. I know that. I, I still, but we are so quick to forget that reality, aren't we? We're so quick to forget the one who shows us the utmost patience and grace as if we've arrived and made it. Man, in a lifetime of us fumbling around and imperfectly following, even on our best day, what happens? We fall woefully short. Christ still never, ever questions adopting, adopting us as his children. There's never a question that has, is had there on the throne room. Like, oh, Dad, Holy Spirit, what were we thinking about that guy? Dang it. Lamb's Book of Life written in blood. We can't, oh, we can't touch that. Oh, man. Are we sure, though? Like, that's never a conversation or a thought on the heart of God. Never. Ever. He, what, he is patient and he is long-suffering with us, is he not? Man, if we would just remember that. Man, the amount of grumbling that would be done away with. Uh, the, the amount of tearing each other down that would be done away with. So see, James' argument here is this, is, is that you had better be judging. You'd better not, uh, you better be patient with each other because the only one who has the right to judge, the only one who has the right to cast that opinion and judgment is the one that is watching and aware right here in this very moment. I don't know who you think you are, but if he used the same standard as we did, would we all not be in trouble? Thank God he doesn't. Thank God he doesn't. I mean, if we just be honest with ourselves and remember how patient Christ is with us, would it not be a lot easier to be patient with somebody else? And what I've learned in my life is this, is usually the ones that aggravate you the most is because there's something really, really big that God's trying to teach you and show you and get you to a place of where you can work through and figure out and mature even more. And isn't, isn't it crazy how, how loving and gracious God is, is to, uh, the church is to put a community of everybody that's different with all kinds of different hangups. Like I was, I was talking to a buddy this, this week um, and in his small group, we, we were just talking and chatting and, and in his small group, he, he's got a plethora of people from all walks of life. 
He's got the lost of lost in that group. So you can't be the saved of the saved. You're either saved or not. To the, to the saved and, and churchgoer for 40 years. And, and they were there talking and they were opening up and they were sharing around the word of God, things like that. And you've got this one, this, this one couple that he said that is just beat down and wore out. And you got the couple over here that's lost and they said, well, brother, we know we got kids too. What we need to do, you need to come over Saturday night and we'll turn up a little bit and we'll kind of ease some of that pain for you. You can't say that in small group. You're the church. You can't be like that. But you know what I said? I said, man, how refreshing that you've got honesty and realness. And you know what he did? He got to step into that moment and kind of guide and navigate and to help understand at a deeper level of what's going on and what, what God's doing and, how, and, and where you really need to find your, your sustenance in Christ. And yes, you're tired of how we as this group, maybe, maybe what we could do is we could take the kids for, for a night. And let you and mama go have, go have a night out and enjoy yourself. Oh, and by the way, it's on us. I mean, what happens in a group when that takes place? Well, what happens in a church when that takes place? Okay, we're not going to turn up this weekend. But what we're going to do is we'll take the kids and we'll let them go out and have dinner and just kind of refresh a little bit. I'm not talking about like just, uh, two hours, you better be back. These little kids, we know why you wore out. We got them in church. No, no, we want them all day. Can we have them all day? I mean, can we just love them all day and, and have them over to play with our kids? You, you take... If you let them spend the night, we'll keep them the night. We can bring them to church to you tomorrow. No, that's okay. Cool. Whatever. Go and enjoy. Maybe sleep. Go back home and take a nap for three hours and then go out. Whatever that. Man, man, is that? That's the church. That's what God does is he puts all of these people together. And same thing in this room. I mean, I don't know if you realize that or notice that. But we're all at different places in this room, are we not? Maturity-wise, background stories, Aggravating ticks. Uh, we, we've all got them. And what has God done? He's put us all together. Well, so that we can work out and figure out how to live and love and care for one another like Christ has us. Because can you, um, how arrogant of us to say, man, that person. Mm. When all the while you've got the King of King and Lord of Lords looking down and thinking, are you kidding me, Scott? Do you know what, you, do I need to remind you of what you did this week that I told you not to? What you thought this week that I said not to think? What you've said this week that you know you're not supposed to say? And you're going to be like that. That's what he's trying to do and show them. And then look at where he goes next. God, God help us get here to this place. Verse 10, he says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James cites Job as a way of encouragement and patience and he says that God was compassionate and merciful. I mean, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with Job, but, but like honestly, like, like if you're going through a difficult time and a struggle, Job is not a book I'm going to hand you. Just read this and see what God does. First few chapters, like you're, you're leaving the church. You're probably waiting in the parking lot for me. And I'm a lover, not a fighter, so you're going you're gonna to wear me out in the parking lot after I hand you the book of Job as a book of encouragement. And that's what James does. Why does James do that? Let, let's, let's dive in a little bit for a moment. And let's press in and see what's happening. See, because in the book of Job, what you've got is you've got God on his throne and the angels are presenting to God. And then what you have is the accuser, he steps in. The accuser comes in, the devil, Satan, he comes up. And God says, hey, what have you been up to? Which is always kind of just interesting for me when God asks a question. Because God doesn't need to ask a question, does he? There's nothing that God doesn't know. 
But he asks and he, in, he entices there and he in, um, uh, gets to him and he says, well, what, what, do you, what do you need? What have you been up to? And Satan, the accuser, he answers. He says, I've been just looking uh, at the Son of Man. And then God says, well, well, have you considered my servant Job? And I'm like, are you? No, no. God, you don't ever need to like point it to me more. I mean, I'm thinking about, look at that. I mean, he says, have, have you thought about my servant Job down there? You've been looking at all these, and, and, but what about, what about, have you considered Job? And Satan says, yeah, of, co- of course I have. Yeah, I've, I've seen Job. I'm aware, I know. Yeah, I've, I've seen him. He says, he praises you and he loves you because of the way that you've be- blessed him. I mean, he's got children, he's got wealth, he's got livestock, he's got land. You've done nothing but bless him. Of course he's going to praise you. And Satan says, well, what about this? What about you let me take all that you've given him and he'll curse your name? And God says, yes. I mean, I don't know if you're a critic in this room this morning. I don't know where you land in, in the scriptures or even about the whole faith thing and in church. But, but like this is a book we don't need in the Bible. I mean, let's take a vote. Can't, no, I'm just joking. We don't do that. We're not that church, trust me. But I mean, like, this, this is not a, if, go for it, okay? Go for it, do, do, yeah, go for him. And so God tells him, okay. And then what do we know about Job? He loses everything, doesn't he? he lo- and I don't know if it's a span of moments or days, but, but, but Job loses everything. Seven kids, livestock, wealth gone, all of that. All he's left with is his wife, and that's not good. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a second. Men, uh-uh, men, uh-uh. Don't you go there. You wait a minute. And so after it's all gone, what happens? Job tears his clothes and he gets in sackcloth and ashes and he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'll return. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He lost it all except a nagging wife and some jacked up bum friends that just cursed God and died, Job. I mean, that's all he's got left. But the scene changes, and the scene changes back to heaven, and, and God on his throne, and the accuser uh, approaches yet another time, and God says, uh, remember that time that you said he would curse me? Oh, wait, do you hear that? Blessed be your name. Yeah, Job, that sounds good. You give and take. Oh, do you hear that saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's praise in my ears from my servant. And, and then what, what happens? Satan says, well, well of course. Uh, of course. He still has his health. And you know what God does is, okay, cool, take, take his health. You, do whatever you need to do, just don't, just don't take his life. He hadn't been through enough, and God gives the okay to, t- to take his health? He gives permission? That's what I love about the scriptures. I mean, have you ever noticed that? That darkness can't unless God gives the okay. That, that darkness bows in the presence of God and has to ask for permission. Man, that's good. And so what happens? The accuser takes his health. He doesn't take his life. And Job, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, what breaks out and boils. I don't know what that would be like, but that sounds awful. God, take me now. Boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. I mean, horrific. And what happens? His lovely, encouraging wife comes in and says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? What a blessing, right? Baby, every, every, everybody else, everything. And, and now, you, and what does Job do? He doesn't do that, does he? I mean, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. 
and so what we see here is this is meant to be an encouragement. This book, it, it encourages the believers. Why? Because they knew the last five chapters of the book of Job. If it stops there, it's horrific. And, and, and we, don't, we don't share that story. But, but, and we rip it out and we don't put it in there. But, but no, that's not where the story ends. That's not where your story ends. We've just read where our story ends. It, it doesn't stop there. Because the believers in this day, they knew the last five chapters of this book. What happens? God meets Job in the brokenness and he heals him and he restores him of all that's been taken. Even more so. See, the people in this day and time, they knew that. They were, they were aware of that story. And, and in this day, how awful it is to be a believer. See, we in our day in 2020, we haven't even scratched the surface of what the men and women in this day has gone through. Is that we'll be made fun of, we'll be defriended, we'll be silenced, we'll be threatened, we'll be... No, 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 their, their life could be taken. Their, their, li- their kids could be taken away and tortured. And nothing to stop it. We don't have a clue. And what James does, says, man, stay faithful. Remember the story of Job and how God steps in and what he does. Look at his faithfulness. Look at the faithfulness of the prophets of, of Job. Find encouragement there. Be patient in your circumstance. Hang tight. Keep watching. Keep walking. Keep fighting. God is aware and he cares. He's going to restore. He, in his time and in his way, he's going to be there. Just be patient and stay. Church, hear me. God has never betrayed you or sold you short. And know there's a day coming that everything will be made right. That's what we just read in Revelation. Where everything will be made perfect. And on that day, it'll be worth it. And that day, it will be so worth it. Just hang tight. Keep fighting. Keep walking. Keep seeking. And then James circles back around with the patience as he deals with each other. But, but this time it's not in a, a grumbling, but it's in a, a culture that's waiting for the return of Christ. In a culture that's looking for. As the band comes back, he says this in verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you might not fall under condemnation. And so what James is doing is prohibiting the people and using the name of God as a type of weight in their yes or their no. That's what he's saying. As those who have experienced the grace and mercy of Christ, we live in a way that we do what we say. And we don't need to kind of just use God as, as, a, as, as a bargaining block in that. We, don't, we shouldn't have to convince people that way. Well, because we should be people of our word. Where it matters and it means something. And so what this says is there's times that we say yes and we do. But there's times where we just can't and that's okay too. But we don't stop there. We help find a way for them. Though we may not be able to do it. We step in and we help and we walk with and we try. See, see church, we have got to be consistent in our life matching up to what we say. We've got to. We've got to be consistent in that. We've got to let our yes be yes and our no be no. So, so I don't know what God stirred in your heart this morning, but, but this, is, this is what I believe, is that he wants us to be patient. And, and I'm not talking about just not losing it with your kids this week or not getting frustrated at whatever else or your work or your job or that line at the fast food or your phone's just not loading. Yeah, yeah, we need to, we need to be patient there. I mean, but I'm, I'm talking about at a deeper level. And be patient, why? Because he's coming back. Dad's coming. He's on his way. And man, when he gets here, he's going to make everything right. He's going to rescue and he's going to set in place like it should be. 
Be patient, church. Stop grumbling and tearing each other apart. Try encouraging someone. And see what that does to your heart. See what that does in somebody else's heart. I mean, just go up to somebody. Like, Can I just, man, I've just noticed this in you. And you're just like, oh, crud, what's coming? And just put your arm around and say, man, I've I just noticed, man, how caring you've been. Man, I, I see you. I see you going around asking how everybody's doing. Man, I, I see how you've, how you've given here. I, I see how you've sacrificed in this place to see that accomplished for the glory of God. I mean, how you're, you're just, oh, you're just, oh, you are so, you're just the sweetest person I've ever met. And to encourage one another. Church, be patient and be encouraged by our brother Job. Because as awful as it is, God is aware and he's in the middle of it with you and he's accomplishing and doing and there's coming a day when there'll be restoration. And the last thing I would say is this, be patient, live selfless lives, loving and encouraging and saying yes as often as you can to your brothers and sisters. All the while letting our world, our word match the action of our lips. So I don't know what God's spoken to your heart. I don't know what he's done in your heart as a result of his word this morning. But I don't know about you, but I know I've got a lot of work that needs to be done in this old heart. A lot of patience that needs to be exercised. A lot of just stopping in the moment and not being quick to spout off, but just listen and try to press into the Lord and see what he's doing. See what he's doing. What is he trying to accomplish? What I do know is this, is it's for my good and his glory. If I'll just be patient long enough to press into and allow him to do what he needs to do to accomplish in me what he's seen fit to get me to that place. Father, I pray you help us this morning. That's a tough, tough word. And it's one that I've had to eat this week. And it's one that I've struggled with. And it's one that you, you, there's no sense in standing up here and acting like I'm something I'm not. I've just got a long way to go. And so, Father, the, whatever you see is a need in me, is a need in this church, a need in your people. Do whatever you need to do to get us to that place. Father, that we can say, blessed be your name. That, that we could land at that place, even in the difficulty. We know that you're coming. And we can, can be content in what you've already accomplished and done and what you're doing.